episode 196 of Come On You Reds, the MLS is back edition. Gareth Wheeler and Terry Dunfield with you. Coming at you after the 2-2 draw in the opening match down in Orlando, an improbable 2-2 finish as Toronto FC picks up a point in their first match against DC United. But you, me, everyone believes it should have been much more than just the one point earned. Coming up over the course of this podcast, Io Akinola, a brace for Toronto FC. Yes, two goals for the 20-year-old striker. He will join us in a few moments' time. Terry Dunfield, it was great waking up Monday morning with Toronto FC finally getting on the field to play after a couple false starts and then all of a sudden Toronto FC plays DC United off the field for 80 minutes but you come away with a draw it feels like a little bit of a gut punch doesn't it at the end of the day as we try to wrap our heads around what exactly happened yeah it hurts for sure uh especially after the clinic of the of the first half um I think big picture uh, the club will be very happy. It, it's hard to believe TFC haven't played together for months. I thought it was cohesive. I thought the combination play was great. The new players did well. I liked the rotations. And I just think it, it was the perfect storm. It, the weather changes due to cramping and injuries. You're playing against 10 men. TFC just start to lose a little bit of focus. And uh, soccer can just be such a cruel game at times. No kidding. Cruel, and I'm going to underline that three or four times because that, that, that's what that was. When, 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 it, when I look at the, the game on balance, DC United were exceptionally poor over 80 minutes. They were down to 10 men. I thought they weren't playing clean, like in terms of their touches on the ball, their quality and distribution, and some really rash tackles over the course of the game as well. And just Toronto FC, for whatever reason, it almost mimicked their first game of the year against San Jose. You're up 2-0 and you come back and, and you give a team a glimmer of hope and they snatch it right away. It just shows you how cruel things can be at the professional level. You just have to be able to see out games, don't you? You do. And and I just think the changes, uh, I guess two negatives make positive, change the game and uh, right. for DC. And uh, I think everything was going to script. Uh, we spoke about it in the last pod. I, th- I think TFC fit nicely against DC. Uh, they, they just sliced and diced them apart. I thought DC were chasing shadows. They were becoming frustrated. In the end, they didn't want to really press TFC because every time they press, they expose space in between lines. And uh, Piatti, Pozzuolo, Marky Delgado exposed that. I thought Endo did well inverting at times. The fullbacks pushed high. Uh, Io dropped into that gap at times in between lines well Uh, and it was just a dominating performance and TFC TFC showed different looks playing out of the back as well at times it was a back three times it was two center backs wide getting the fullbacks high and um, and then on the other side I thought TFC's controlled press I wouldn't say it was aggressive they forced DC into mistakes and then uh, look dangerous in transition, and, and, and that's how the first goal came. So I have talking points and some questions that were answered in the game. I, I, I want to get to those in a few minutes' time, but let's talk about the moments that define the game, okay, Terry? And we'll start off with 20-year-old Io Akinola was handed the start, his first first-team action since June 30th of 2019. Josie Altador wasn't in the squad today as he's working his way up to full fitness and to really ramp up as this tournament goes on. But 
Io scored a great goal, his first of two, of, the, uh, of two on the day in the 12th minute. It was kind of like a little bit of a poor man's version. I say that with no disrespect to Nick DeLeon's goal in the Eastern Conference Final against Atlanta United. Nick's was a little bit further out and obviously a little bit of a bigger stage, but Io took advantage of some defenders, just some indecision amongst them. Turn, pivot, fire, Great strike into the left-hand corner, beating Bill Amid. Great goal for the 20-year-old, his third as a member of Toronto FC. Yeah, I, I, um, I, I think TFC fans would be a little bit surprised to see him starting. I, I, I think he's earned that opportunity through training, Greg has said. I watched him play in a preseason game, and he made a ton of runs. He's a real threat in behind. Um and nobody passed on the ball in that inner squad game, but but you could see he was getting really? into, which can be frustrating, but you could see he was getting into good spots. And uh, his first action of the game, I don't know if you remember, the ball came into him this morning and he Bradley. held it up and, and, and he kept possession. And, and I think just with being taken out of the team a little bit, Achara coming in, Josie playing well, I think it's, it's just brought in a little bit of humility to his game. And he, development isn't linear and, and he, it's taken him some time to get this opportunity and boy did he take it with two hands I thought on the goal if you look at his movement he actually pushed back the two center backs before he received it to open up a little bit of space he took a touch into that space and that's a tough skill kind of on the half turn to come across the ball and generate that kind of power into the top corner so some of the little details in the goal I thought were great um, and, and and it's just you, you, you know, I think we've got a top, top player who's hungry to play right now in, in Iowa, Canola. He's got great pedigree. He's a U-20 international. And I think he's just kind of seen that some of his U-20 counterparts playing over in Europe have just smoked past him. And you know what? When he does get his chance, that then he was going to take it. It was, it was almost set up for him to go out and crush it. By the way, another player who can play for Canada – if, if that apps, you know, that, that comes about, yeah, but you're right. Bracken. You need to take advantage of opportunities and he's still only 20 Terry. And, and that's the thing in a competitive squad, when you're a young player, I, I think this is a message to all the young players that are trying to make their way through into a very competitive team, go out there and show the coaching staff something. And I earned that through training. I think it's a positive message that the Academy, the, the pathway to first-team football, it matters, it counts if you approach it the right way. Yeah, you nailed it. And, and nothing's going to be handed to you. And, and, and he's had to work hard for that start. And all that hard work, his, his physical Zoom sessions, taking care of his body. And, and maybe it took for eye of football being taken away through him through COVID for him to realize how lucky he really is. And uh, boy, did he deliver today. Yeah, I I still don't think it was a masterpiece by Io because he's going to look back at a couple of the other opportunities he had when he watches back the tape of this game and say, I should have had more. I probably should have had yeah. three or four because the ball in his left foot, in the, also in the first half, balls played through brilliantly by Endo and Pozuelo on his left foot, just not the same as, as his right. So there's still work to do. He's just not a finished article as of yet. Yeah, and, and I think that's where I'll play devil's advocate to you that – he's not been in those spots too often. He doesn't have a ton of experience getting into those areas, but the fact that he's getting there and creating these opportunities and he's getting a ton of support, he's got so much quality around him, um, is a positive for me. And I think with just seeing these pictures over and over, uh, his conversion rates are going to go up.
Yeah, I, I have no doubt about that. I was just suggesting that this is something that there's still work to be done um, for, sure. for, for a young He's player. There's nowhere near the ceiling. I, I, I agree, but, but I, I just think with just more experience and playing with quality players around him, more goals will come. Uh, his second goal is one that I couldn't even miss. <laughs> good, good work by Pozuelo. By, by the way, I just wanted to bring up on that first goal that – Toronto FC in that press that you were speaking about, it was Michael Bradley who won that ball back in the midfield. Bill Hamid, just some poor service. But DC United were consistently put under pressure and TFC working quickly, quick passes and transition worked out. And again, it was pressing high that led to that second goal with Briant, some miscommunication, who regularly gets torched against Toronto FC. Third <laughs> work by Pozuelo to put it on a dish for him for Akinola's second. Yeah, good spot on the press. It's it's almost like a controlled semi press. They, they they'll what they'll do is they'll impede DC or they'll try to put them into an area that they don't want to go without really committing a player to the press. And what that led to on the first goal was dropping a ball in midfield that TFC won. The second one was a little bit more of a Barcelona or Man City repress on on a miss, which was sort of cost the turnover and then TFC punished them. What I liked on the second goal wheels was was TFC got their fullback really high. And, and, and that's allowing Piatti to invert. And, and you're getting another player in that next line. Uh, and then TFC capitalized on that mistake. I think Piatti was trying to score. I mean, sorry, uh, Pozuelo was trying to score. I think uh, it was a little bit of a sclaff and uh, right place, right time trial. He'll, he'll never tell you that. Two assists in the day for Pozuelo. Yeah, that's right? never been. He was trying to score. Come on. <laughs> I, but uh, just, just pick it up on that, though. That connection down that right-hand side, I thought Piatti was good off the hop. I mean, his first effort was in the fifth minute. You see what he can do cutting inside, but he really has a nice connection with Arrow and Pozuelo. It's a, it's a, it's a really n- nice trio that you have attacking down the right. Yeah. Greg uses the word a chain, but that that ro- that chain rotates. What, what, sorry, what's the word? A chain? Chain, yeah. That okay. chain's always rotating or there's player exchanges through there. But that uh, right-hand side chain was great. It was good on the left-hand side. I thought the double pivot in midfield uh, made us a little bit less predictable playing out of the back. And what Felipe and Moreno, the player, ended up getting sent off is they were quite aggressive and tried to latch on to TFC's two midfielders, which actually created a ton of space in behind for our wide players to invert into. Well, let's get into those two other moments that define the first half. The first was an incredible reaction saved by yeah. Quinton Westberg. Um, Ola Kamara looked to me a little bit offside. If it went to VAR, it might have been whistled back, but the flag didn't go up on the play. And just another um, display or exhibit of what Quinton Westberg can do. Just his reactions, his intuition are always spot on. That's a brilliant save no matter how you cut it. Like Kamara could have picked corner, but in fairness, it happened so quickly. I think Kamara was shocked that Westberg was able to react that quickly. It's funny, he yin-yang this game. Normally we're talking about how good his distribution is out of the back, and I thought he a little bit rusty playing out of the back, and he tried to take on some tough passes. Uh, but but what a save that was. And he doesn't always get as much um, credit for, the, for some of the reaction saves he makes, but best save of the tournament for me. I, I tried to pick fault in TFC's defending. I actually thought it was a great ball. Might have been offside. I thought it was a nice run off the shoulder of Mavinga and uh, it doesn't hit him. It's a save for sure. Yeah, I, I'm with you. Uh, sometimes you tip your cap. It was wonderful execution by DC United. And then before the half was out, 
I mean, this should have been the real game changer. Moreno sent off for the second bookable offense. He was his own worst enemy because his he had a the touch of a baby elephant just gave the ball away. It was awful. And you could tell he was frustrated. He came straight through the back of Murky at Elgato. There was nothing the referee could do but send him off. No, I thought there was a couple horrible challenges from DC. I thought they could have gone to nine men, to be honest. Um, now we'll get into the second one yeah, specifically. Uh, yeah, just no, it was, it, was, it was actually almost a compliment to how good TFC had been to see a challenge like that come in. Uh, yeah, there, there was no doubt. So you're heading into. It was the a room. frustrated tackle. It was, it was. You know what? That's all it was. TFC are, are bossing us on the day. I can't get close to the two in midfield. I'm chasing shadows. So you know what? I'm going to kick them. And, and, and you, as a player, you understand this. It, it was a, a rush of blood to the head because he just gave away the ball. It's hot. He's just like he was. Fr- he was Easy. mad at the Don't game. He was mad at giving the guy, the guy that gave the ball away. <laughs> <laughs> Not you specifically, but as a player, yeah. you know sometimes when you give away the ball, you're frustrated and you rush things and you, and you do something you know that you shouldn't. It just yeah. happens. Yeah. It's a natural it's, instinct. It's rash, and uh, unfortunately, you tweeted out that that should be game over after that. Uh, no kidding. It shouldn't be game over. It was because the second half resembled uh, a training session. Things were slow. And, and, and I, I, I don't even think it was playing conservative. I thought it was about conservation, as in conserving your energy for Thursday night. It's hot. They were playing within themselves. It's 2 nothing. The game should have been dusted, Terry. I mean, you can say that the foot should have been firmly down on, on on the gas, but the context of the situation, I think, played into the scenario a little bit. Yeah, I, I went and got changed, actually, into my running uh, gear, ready to go. for. I was going to go for a run at, at 60 minutes, just thinking the game's going to peter out. And then I was like, maybe I won't go for a run because I'm kind of hoping that a couple of the young academy players might come on and make debut, so I didn't want to miss that. Um, but but it sometimes after such a good performance at halftime, it's, it's really difficult to replicate that in the second half. And, and now all of a sudden you're, you, it's getting hotter. You're playing against 10 men. Um, you just lose a little bit of focus. Then there's changes. But even with all of that, it, it shouldn't have turned into 2-2. And it, it's frustrating. And, and I just think the, the only way DC were going to get into the game is if TFC make a mistake or a set piece goal and and uh, both happened. We saw both, yeah, <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Um, because honestly, I, I was kind of the same way. I was going to go put on another pot of coffee. Things were <laughs> too easy. Things, things were, and, and and honestly, DC United had offered nothing. And I think the referee, based upon that, was showing a little bit of mercy because Felipe could have been and should have probably been sent off for a rash challenge on Io Akinola about midway through the second half of play. Yeah, he's he's a little tool. He should have been sent off. Um, you, you know, I, I, I just that should have been game over. Uh, you see leniency sometimes for refs like that. I, I, I don't think. Uh, I think the refs got to go by the letter of the law, and 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 he didn't. There, it was studs up. He goes over the ball. I know Caldwell said it was a little bit low, and that's why it's not a red. It, it was a red card, in my opinion. Yeah, it wasn't just him. Canoose. Dirty challenge after dirty challenge. I mean, again, I think that this is an official playing into the context and not sending a player off accordingly. Uh, That's what what I think. And and I I said it in after 90 minutes, and it seems like I'm making an excuse, but 
that's it's undeniable what we saw, right? But but even having said that, though, Wheels, uh, I don't think TFC were kind of drawn into DFC's antics. I I, I know before the game and, and after Ben Olsen was complaining maybe that TFC were late to the game and then there were some afters. But I, I, I think the, t- the team was still pretty professional even at that standpoint. Yeah. Um, so, so changes made and uh, were, were made. And the substitutes, unfortunately, it's just the way that it worked out, were front and center in the, in the two goals that were conceded. Justin Morrow came off at halftime, was dealing with a little bit of an Achilles injury. We'll get some kind of update heading into the Montreal game, how he feels. Sounds more precautionary than anything. And Omar Gonzalez and Chris Mavinga, right around the water break, were dealing with cramping, which is natural. Your first game for four months, you do a lot of running. Um, so both players needed to be taken off. So Greg Yanni admitted post-match his plan wasn't to take off players across the back line. He wanted to take off attacking players and, 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 and provide some different looks, but he was forced into these three changes. And um, it was Laurent Simon who had his name all written all over the 84th minute goal by TFC killer Federico Higuain scoring his 11th goal for Toronto FC over his incredible MLS career. He hasn't scored more than eight goals against anyone else. 11 now against TFC came on in the 80th minute and him come came coming on, changed the game with that being said, Laurent Simon for all of his experience and how good he was at the end of last season, cannot make that pass straight through the middle of the park a wishful ball in Nick DeLeon's direction when he can play it safe. He has Quentin Westberg behind him. He has Eric Zavaleta laterally just made the wrong decision and led to that goal in the counter for DC United. Yeah. His, uh, his first touch intentions looked as though whether he meant it, like he was going to go back to Westberg. And then I think he sees out of the corner of his eye, a nice bounce pass into Nick DeLeon uh, to get our fullback out, Alra, who switched over from the right to the left-hand side. He misplays that. And at that point, our centre-backs are very wide. Bradley w- was kind of in, on his way, maybe, to dropping into a three. Um, and, and, and to be fair, it's DC still have a lot of work to do. Higuain's not the quickest player. He's been off with injury. He's He's well into his 30s. So I'm kind of thinking that maybe Zavaleta is going to come across and put some pressure on him. Uh, we, we don't really make up any ground on Higway, and he shows pretty good wheels. And, and you know he's got that chip in the locker. And I'm thinking, Westwood, just don't come out of your net. Uh, and, and he takes it really well. It's not an easy skill at full great power finish. to chip it over the keeper like that. And, and this league's got to that level where you've got players – uh, that will punish any mistakes or create something out of nothing in MLS. Um, but just quickly, what I want to talk about is Greg Vanny on social media in the broadcast, he's come under a bit of heat for changing his center backs. And if there's one person in MLS or one head coach that understands how important your center backs are, how reliable they are, and who would never change them unless he had to, it's an international center back like Greg Vanny who played that position for 12 years. He's played at the top level. He knows how important. The last thing he wants to do is change his center backs. And, and as you said, he had to do it due to circumstances, due to cramping. And you know what? He would have been uncomfortable on the sidelines after making that change as well. At the, at the same time, I completely agree with everything you said. But when he brings on two center backs, one's won an MLS Cup, 
and the other is Simon, has played at a European Championship for Belgium and yeah. has over 130 MLS and MLS playoff games. You expect that those players can get the job done. It's not just those two. You win as a team and you lose as a team. It's just I did not like that ball by Simon because... Let me ask you a question, though, to your point. So Simon, all those caps, played in major championships, played in this league. Same with Zavaleta, on paper, good fit. But what if you're Simon, right? You're an international. You've, you've made a ton of money in this game. You, you end of your career. You've just been on the bench. You think that there's no way that you're going to come onto this field. You're 2-0 up. You come up. You've got no pressure on you at all. Higuaini ain't going to close you down. So no wonder he's got a smoke in his mouth. No wonder he's chilled out. He's a casual player anyway. So him coming on in these circumstances is actually the perfect storm for this mistake to maybe happen. Right. Is what I'd fair, say. fair point, but it can't happen. If I'm like doing just... a risk assessment, you know what? A guy like this with all this quality, we saw, you know what, playing in front of 50,000 people away from home, you know what? He was unbelievable against Atlanta, but playing in a COVID game, MLS back, first round, 2-0 up against 10 men, I'm a bit worried. But that seems like a context where – Hey, look, <laughs> the, the pressure's off. Just go out and hold this down. You know what I mean? I, I don't know. I, I guess a tired team, team who's easy. been playing. He, but he's, he's been playing against a tired team for 25, 30 minutes with 10 men yeah. in that heat. Yeah. I just, I, I mean, I'm just, you know, I'm that, just that, trying to say emotionally, like, that, that there's more, like, players are human beings. They're, they're deep. And, and that right. mental corner is important. I just, you know, the, the accountability for me, and, and my timeline's full of people criticizing Greg Vanny as well, which is unreal to me because clearly the coach knows what he's doing. Um, he helped take Toronto FC just a few months ago, if we remember, to an MLS Cup with Omar Gonzalez and let's, Josie Altador injured. It's honest. insane. I just, if you're DC, you're going back to your room with your tail between your legs. Yes. After that, you were bossed. It was embarrassing. Bossed. It was a TFC dominated DC today. Yeah, and and, and, and it, it, in every moment of the game, not just on the bill. It, then it, the was, sec- it was a smoke show performance. I'm with, and, and I'll say this, and, and I've watched every game of this tournament. And I honestly think the performance we saw from TFC over 80 minutes was the best I've seen of any team at this tournament. Yeah, yeah I agree. <laughs> and, 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 they, and, they drew their, and they drew their first game. And the second goal, it's just eerily familiar to me the way that they gave up that goal to the way they gave up the, the equalizer against San Jose. An unnecessary foul in a position that you don't need to be fouling. It was Endo on the opposite side against San Jose. This time it was Richie Larea. Like he's defending the player who's literally on the touchline. He's not going anywhere. A little bit too eager, a little bit too anxious. Gives DC United a chance for a set piece opportunity. You just there's no need to foul in a situation like that. Yeah, yeah, we we, we touched on it. Set pieces and mistakes, and uh, especially late on, it's two one. I I think Larea, he, he's still young, has to have that context of the game in the back of his mind, and and the last thing he wanted to do is have to defend a hail mary ball, and that's exactly what it was. It wasn't like it was a great ball in the box. It was. It was just lumped in from 40 yards out or whatever it was, like you said, right on the touchline. I'd say nine times out of 10, uh, it's a foul on Zavaleta. Uh, my, my first thought it was a foul. Actually, having watched it back, I, I, I don't think it's a foul. It's a good header. 
uh, and then it, it's it's natural. It happens. Everyone's kind of drawn to that first header, and, and we lose our mark. Yeah, and uh, it had to be brilliant, didn't it? Because honestly, against New York, or, or when he played play for New York and DC, in now that he plays for DC, TFC has have lit him up so many times, and he gets yeah. a goal. Good finish. It was Westberg yeah. can't get to that good finish top corner and shock and awe two two io i could all had a chance late looping header towards header. a corner bill Hamid took it but um i mean it, it, th- that is the definition of shock and awe and and they still haven't completely processed the fact that tfc in a game that dc united offered next to nothing for 90 percent of the game come away with anything from it yeah yeah it's like you said it's a little bit like san jose we we should be sat on nine points right now I think Hamid, that's a save he should make off uh, Io late on, uh, and and it's tough to just when when you're kind of in cruise control, it's hot. You're one nil up. You're playing against ten men. Okay, now you go down two one. It's it's really difficult to change your mindset on the fly, and uh, and and you, you know what? It was it was just kind of mindless stuff for for the last 10 minutes there wasn't a whole bunch of purpose behind our actions and how we were defending and then at 2-2 to chase the game with all your big dogs on the bench you're a little bit disorganized you're low on energy you haven't played a game for four months it's it's always going to be difficult good action to create that header so a 2-2 final from orlando i have three talking points um, heading into the game, and I, and I kind of want to deal with them before we look ahead to Thursday night against Montreal. Three questions that I wanted to have answered heading into this game. The first one was how Michael Bradley would look returning from a, a very serious injury. Um, he was the man of the match. He was the best player on the field for me, Terry. And he went out and played the full 90 minutes. Greg Vanny said it wasn't by design, but when the three defenders went off, um, Michael was feeling good, and he kept them on. I thought his distribution was exceptional. And the entire game, I was just reminding myself, Michael Bradley isn't a DP anymore. <laughs> what an advantage for Toronto SC to have Michael Bradley uh, on, on a TAM or GAM contract. You know, it's just going to be such an advantage to this group going forward. I thought he was great. Yeah, he was exceptional. Uh, I, I thought he was pulling the strings. His, you, you always want to get that first pass right when you've been out for a little while. Do you remember when he fizzed that ball in with a bit of disguise to Iowa Canola at the top yep. of the box? It was like a 30-yard ball into his feet. And, and that's a moment where even if you're Michael with all his experience, you just kind of nod your head and you go, okay, I'm ready, I'm back. And um, he, he controlled the game uh, on both sides of the ball. I thought defensively in a double pivot, he was able to – kind of uh, initiate a little bit more pressure on the build. He was still kind of the player, the quarterback, kind of setting up attacks. Uh, nothing really changed there. I liked when he dropped into a three to help us get around their front too. Um, and and it was comfortable for him. I think he was just enjoying playing again. And um, all that hard work uh, that, he, that he spent in the gym trying to get himself back to full fitness – really paid off. I'd, I'd say it's a big question mark whether he's able to play on Thursday, though. Right. Um, it's very cool how he plays the double pivot. By the way, you go out and tell Michael Bradley he's not playing Thursday against Montreal. <laughs> Seriously. Like, good, we, we've, we've joked about this. Good luck. We've, we've got to do what's best, first and foremost, for his health, but but but, but also for the team. And look, he's, he's, he's 32 now. He haven't played for four months. 
Um, I'm sure he wants to. I'm sure he probably can. Uh, but but I just say the upside isn't worth the downside in my opinion. Yeah, I, I mean I, I'm not I an expert. Betting... I'd, I'd I'd heavily lean on the sports science team. I, I I I'm totally with you. I just wouldn't bet against him being on the field. Yeah, good and point. And what, what's what's cool about the way that he plays in a double pivot? They're defending that way, but in attack he's still dropping deeper. And multiple times in the game, you saw him kind of. Um, you know, just instructing Marky Delgado to work around him. It gave Delgado the freedom to go on the left, go on the right. It, 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 I kind of liked the way it looked, and it looked much different than him playing alongside an Azorio and a Delgado, where it's much more rigid, where he has two worker bees around him just covering a ton of yardage. But the, the, I don't know if the if the right way of putting it, it's like the attack seemed a little bit more by design and a little bit more intelligent the way that it was playing out. Yeah, it, it was almost space finding by Michael. Yes. And, uh, and one of the, I mean, I'm sure Canada soccer did it when we beat the U.S. Uh, in November. Is If you stop Michael, you stop a lot of attacks. But, but what happened is if D.C. got too tight to Michael, it opened up passing lanes right into Io's feet or into the wingers inverting and, or into Pozuelo. Uh, and it, it, it was tough for DC and, and it was very fluid. It was unpredictable. Um, and and uh, no, I, I, I liked it. It's clever. Uh, like you said, it's by, des- by design. It's, it's not just off the cuff. Um, these, these habits and behaviors of the players are, are, are very real. And if you would have st- seen that at the start of preseason and Michael wasn't even there, um, it, it's definitely been a work in progress and you can see these guys have worked hard not only on the training ground but but also I would imagine there have been a ton of video sessions to make sure these patterns are right and they're only going to if this is the starting point wheels we're, we're in for a fun ride this year Abs, absolutely uh, my second of three talking points was how they would look without Josie Altador up front we kind of talked about how good Io Akinola was but what it also did Terry um, Io stepping in and playing that role, it allowed Alejandro Pozuelo to play his best position. And, and that is the number 10. We saw Pozuelo playing his best role today in the 4-2-3-1, which is a little bit different than the 4-3-3 that they played in previous years. If you want to get the best out of Pozuelo, that for me is where you play him. So Altador came out, then all of a sudden you're playing Pozuelo in his best position. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I thought it was a little bit unselfish for Mayo. I know he wants to connect and he wants to get the ball to his feet, but his role was to push back the center backs and threaten him behind when TFC were in possession. There was times he came to feet in between the lines, but but his, his role was almost to create space in between the lines. And uh, I think Pozuelo took advantage of that. Uh, the, look, this guy's a genius. He, he, he can just, again, we spoke about Michael's first pass in the, in, in the first minute. There was a little drop of his shoulder from Pozuelo to create a little bit of space. And you're like, wow, this guy looks sharp. How's he not played for four months? And uh, I think in possession, you'll never question his quality. Uh, I, I think playing centrally, um, is it, it almost shackles him a little bit and it gives him more. He, he's not kind of running all over the place as much. There's more structure to TFC's play. And he's also got more runners kind of running off him. And that's, that's kind of his sweet spot. But also defensively, uh, when he's not playing out wide, it, it, it kind of his role is a little bit more defined, and 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 he just kind of sits in on on their holding mid, midfielder and just stops him from playing. 
and and I think TFC's structure defensively looks looks more solid. Absolutely. Um, and my final thought was or question was how Pablo Piatti would look um, in just the Toronto say, FC. Well, sorry, we was just thinking out loud here. You know what? Too like if you're number ten, right? You're the main man. You're Gareth Bale, whatever it might be. And someone says, "Okay, you're going to play out wide." How would you feel? No, I'm. That's how you get the best out of Pozuelo. I don't. I, I don't think you get the best yeah. out of him on the wing. I don't think you get the best out of him as, as a false nine. I think he can play in both areas. But if you want the best out of that player, that's where that is the exact role he was playing in Belgium when he was a Belgian Player of the Year. You yeah. know, and, and he pulled the I, strings if I'm, and. If I'm Pozuelo and I see the team sheet announced and I'm like the main man, I'm playing in in my position. You know what? I'm going out there with my chest out and and I'm ready to perform. But that that's what the double pivot does. And I think that it's going to give some much needed rest to either Bradley or Oso or Delgado, whoever yeah. it is. They've done an incredible amount of heavy lifting. You know, Two of those three might only be able to start a game. And mm-hmm. Pozuelo playing that role, that for me is where we need to see him play on a regular basis. Yeah, I think we could talk about this one all day. Um, and, and also, like... I think that double pivot defensively turns into a three and attack. So, so I think one of the yes. things Pozuelo did as well is is he connected really well with his chain with Piatti and Auro in the first half. And he almost trusted that his teammates were going to get him the ball. He, it wasn't like he was searching and charging all over the field to get the ball. I thought it, it was pretty disciplined from him as well. Isn't that funny at a conversation about Altador turns into Pozuelo? Because that's how the dominoes fall, right? Like mm-hmm. one decision, him not playing today, meant that they played in a little bit of a different way. And we'll see that if it continues when Altador comes back into the team. It's almost like, uh, you know, when Firmino plays, you know, I think his game's probably changed being at Liverpool. It's different to how he plays with Brazil, but it's almost like he's that connect player. Okay. And, and he gets the best out of, Mane and, and Salah. Yep. Yep. And, 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 and maybe that's exactly what Ayo's done for, for Pozuelo. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. Or that profile of player moving forward Good is point. something that yeah, can really work uh, for, for Toronto FC. And, and finally, Piatti on his debut. Um, I think they missed him when they took him off in the 73rd minute. I thought he was excellent. And that's what you expect from a player who's played a decade in top flight football in Spain. And that was the argument with him coming in. Do you bring in a player who's in his prime or maybe just past it, someone that's more ready to make an impact right now, or do you bring in a younger player? Well, I think the case was made today why you have a player of Piatti's um, profile in the team right now. I, I, I just I think the intelligence, you can see the talent. I, I thought he looked fit. It's just all about staying healthy, and so far, so good. Yeah. Yeah, the uh, um, it depends. If we just go back a little bit, it depends, Wheels, what the market's giving you. And, and in TFC, we're in the market for an attacking DP. And, and you, you know, we didn't have stupid money to spend on a DP. It wasn't like we were spending seven or eight million again. So, so I think when you look at the market, that there was only so many players available. And, and Piatti's name came up. And, and he just has so much experience. It's, it's, it's a pretty safe signing. You know what you're going to get. He'll play really well with others. Um, and, and, and I think we saw that today. I, I think he looked sharper and probably further ahead uh, fitness-wise than, than I thought. Uh, he still has a, a nice change of pace where he can get yes. away from a player. Um, 
And, and, and again, going kind of with TFC's overall performance, if this is our starting point with Piatti, Piatti and I, I think he's only going to get better. And uh, I, I'm still looking for that moment of brilliance, but I'd say it was a solid, solid seven and a half out of 10 today. I, I, I will say this, and Subasa Endo works his socks off and brings so many um, little things that might go unnoticed in the team. Mm-hmm. But I'll say with Piatti, with Pozzuolo, I think what Toronto FC may need is a player like uh, someone like maybe Jacob Schaffelberg to get a little bit more of a look, someone that can get in behind that back line a little bit more and keep teams a little bit more honest. Uh, because Endo likes to find those pockets of space and make those cute little passes. Like I said earlier, played through Akinola expertly in the first half. But I think you might need a little bit more pace to play with a little bit more of something to get in behind that back line to balance out Piatti on the right-hand side. Yeah, good point. Um, a, a little bit like Sterling and, and Sané when they used to play together. Well, I, I think I think Sterling Bernardo and Bernardo Silva. Silva yeah, yes. and, and just kind of having different looks on, on different sides of the field. I, I'd say there's a little bit of complexity to, to how TFC progressed out of the back now. And, and, and I think Endo gets it. And, and, and I think with him kind of coming inside, it opens up that wide channel for Moro to, to sort of bomb forward. Uh, but yeah, so some, some out and out pace is always fun. Uh, a, a little bit like uh, the boy from Wolves that's just ridiculously quick. Triore. Triore. <laughs> yeah. he's, he's on the Gareth Wheeler diet. Yeah. We might Steroids get, for breakfast. <laughs> we might need to get Schaff on the, on the bicep curls. But uh, yeah, I, again, it, it, depends, it depends on, uh, on, on maybe the opposition. And I, I don't think there was a ton of space necessarily in behind DC those two center backs light to sag and it was kind of that space in between the lines that TFC were playing for uh that's all I got on this game do you have anything else Terry no I I, I just think uh that that, that, look I I think Greg Vanny knew as soon as he made the changes he didn't want to make them they were enforced and and it probably did play out to worst case scenario uh, I, I, I think leaving from this game, you're, you've, you've got to look at the positives. I know it's hard. I know it's going to be hurting, but you're in a tournament turn, tournament format and, and uh, you've got to get over it really quickly because if you dwell on this and you've got this in the back of your mind and you're kind of limping into the Montreal game, um, now you're asking for trouble. But well, it, picture, it, it, I, 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 sorry, man, I, I, I thought it was a real clinic and, and it was almost like the – Nine, nine and a half, nine point nine times out of ten, TFC win that game. No kidding. <laughs> it, it should be ten out of ten. Like with with all the unknowns, without playing for four months, games being rescheduled. I, I mean, coming into this, you probably would have taken a draw. Like understanding yeah, what you were going to, up against. It's just about how it was. Yeah, it's just about I, how it played out. I listened to Olsen's press conference. I don't know. How he said it, like well, you don't really know because he had his mask on. How he said it with a straight face. Oh yeah, we played ourselves into the game. I'm just thinking, what? It was a giveaway and a set piece, and other than that, you had nothing, mate. Nothing, nothing. So a two-two final. Uh, Toronto FC joined second place uh, in Group C as New England Revolution beat the Montreal Impact, which seems like a lifetime ago. It was last Thursday night, which means Toronto FC take on the Montreal Impact 
Thursday night and the game by virtue of the draw rather than the win um, has that much more increased importance. Three days rest for Toronto FC, a week off between games for the Montreal Impact. Now, uh, Thierry Henry better have got his team on the training field and worked on significant things because they looked disorganized. They were cohesive. He questioned their effort in the game as well. There's some work to be done in this impact team, isn't there? There is. Um, one, probably my biggest takeaway from the Montreal impact game was, uh, was I th- everyone was raving. What did you think about one Yama's performance just before? I thought, I, I thought, I, I thought that, him and the the young center back Binks were yeah. were very good individual performances, but didn't suit the team or the way the team played at all. Yeah, that's that's exactly man. It's refreshing you saying that. And and I thought he got a lot of plaudits when Yama for his performance. Uh, but 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 I thought it was unpredictable. Uh, I think he protects the ball well, but you don't really know when he's going to pass it. He kind of shows up all over the field. Um, I thought his body language was poor. I thought he he just felt like he was better than everybody. Um, and it, he actually opened up a ton of space at times. Um, and, and one of the problems sometimes with DPs is, is in the changing room. And um, there's this era, there's this presence about a DP. And if he, if he just plays for himself and looks after himself, uh, that can be poison in the changing room. And uh, I thought when Yam, as good as he was, he, he, you can see he's got quality. Uh, I, I, I thought it just, it was very random. And if I was playing beside him, I'd, I'd, I'd find it difficult. Well, I'll give, I'll cut him a little bit of slack here because the way the team was set up to play was all wrong. <laughs> Samuel Piet, how, how many times have we seen Samuel Piet, the Canadian international play? Um, excuse me, for the first time mm-hmm. in 168 games, he's played as a professional player dating back to his time in Germany, Terry. He played right wingback or right fullback. I mean, that's at least where he started and then he came inside. He is as much of a number six as there is. Like, he is, he does one thing well. He wins the ball. He sits in front of the back two or the back three is is industrial or industrious i should say and he's economical in terms of his touches and his distribution he was miscast boyan playing wide left he needs to play in front of him he needs to have the ball at his feet tider was i don't know what tider was doing he was a much more disappointing player to me than wanyama just the team in in terms of the way it was organized and structured it has so it leaves so many questions and so many gaps in the team, and that needs to be rec- uh, rectified first and foremost. Yeah, I, I don't know whether it was a makeshift team, and, and he had to change it around at the last minute for some reason. Uh, but I agree with you. I thought Boyan looked disinterested. He had no interest playing out wide. It looked like he was almost being tackled by the sideline at times. <laughs> I thought I thought Piet actually did okay, considering he's not played there a ton or ever. Um, I I I, th- I think in possession the game plan was for him to come inside and and make a two with Wanyama and Tider to be in that kind of free roll. It worked at times, and then he kind of lost his discipline. I don't know if you remember he ran across the field like fifty yards to try to get into some space, and they almost got countered. Um, but it's interesting when they actually put him into midfield in the second half. That's when Montreal lost their shape. 
Yes, um, I don't think I don't think I didn't think Wayama and Piet can play in the same team together. No, it's a, it's an inter- maybe it's an interesting one. And then the other thing when Piet came inside, a Quanquo who's got so much pace and he just wants to run, he's now kind of dropping low low to pick up the ball to feet, and there wasn't really kind of anyone threatening that back line in New England. Uh, I I thought it was a poor goal for Bo to be able to just turn and and score. I thought they looked tired. Montreal didn't look fit. Um, that's probably my biggest concern. Piet gave the ball away him. leading to that as well because I think he was out of sorts. Like, mm-hmm. he's a player that plays well within a specific structure. Like, he, he could be a very effective player, but there was no structure, Terry. Yeah, it was – It was. yeah, you, I, I think players always want structure, and then from that structure they can kind of express themselves and be creative and bring their competencies to the game, but – um, that was the one thing we, we sort of said before the game, watching Montreal in the Champions League at the start of the year, is they had a very distinct 3-4-3. They were solid defensively. It was very unlike Thierry Henry-esque what we, what we thought we might have seen from his side, just what he was like as a player. And, and uh, it, it was just an interesting setup, I guess, is the best way to say it. Well, he, here's his problem. Because there's no point of having three center backs if you have two holding midfielders. <laughs> like, what, what, like, what sort of setup is that? It's pointless. So what he tried to do is, he, I don't think he wanted to rock the boat too much. The hometown boy, Sammy Piet, you know, leader of the group, or one of the leaders of the group. He didn't want to take him out of the 11. So he tried to play Piet out wide and have Wainyama and Tidair in the middle. And when he realized that he couldn't play Piet out there, he brought him in at... Wanyama and Piet playing alongside one another with three center backs. It just doesn't work. So my biggest question, this, this all kind of leads into what we're expecting on Thursday night. I don't know what to expect. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know how, I, I think Montreal has some very good players, but how does he get the most out of this group? And I don't think that's an answer that comes about in a week of training. Yeah. There's not a lot of wits to this team. Um, it's an interesting one too. Rytel is our captain. I would have thought that Montreal homeboy Piet would be still be there. It was captain. weird, right? Yeah, yeah that, that, was that weird one. To me. Um, I, I don't have any inside scoop on that. Uh, but it's uh, I, if I'm probably Thierry, I I go right back to the drawing board and and really simplify things and and just put players in positions to to be successful and and, and maybe not try to overthink it or try to cram all my best players into the eleven. And, and, and maybe just, uh, you know, just put players in positions where they're comfortable. Well, the, the problem with, with the center back position and something where TFC can fully take advantage. If Altidore can play, I play him on Thursday night because Montreal's two best center backs, one's 39 years old in Fanny and one's yeah. 18 years old in Binks. <laughs> I mean, that's, I think that Montreal has problems at the back and up top in the midfield, they have a bunch of good players who seem to be miscast together. And that's yeah. what TFC is going up against. There's one thing that makes me nervous about Thursday night is they've had a week off and TFC have not. They have half that time off. Yeah, That's the definitely. only thing that makes me nervous about Thursday night. That one, and, and if, look, it's a rivalry game. They, they, there is going to be emotion. You are playing the impact. And they'll be they, when, whenever I played against the impact, you always have that little skip to your step. You're always looking forward to getting in that, okay, the tunnel's a bit weird now. But, but as soon as you look across center and, and you see Montreal on the other side, there's, there's, there's always a little bit more at stake. 
Uh, Terry, just uh, so so that game's coming up Thursday night, 8 p.m. on TSN. A must win for the Impact, a should win for Toronto FC as Group C action continues. Um, what I'm hoping that TFC getting back out in the field and playing, I hope what that does is eases some of the concerns of people back home. I know there's been a lot of sentiment, bring the boys home. But this is what it's all about. I, I want to reiterate that all the players in the coaching staff, when asked publicly, have said that they all feel safe inside the bubble, that MLS has been doing a good job, and how united they are in playing this tournament together as a group. While other teams had players who decided to sit out, each and every one of the players is committed to the cause. And I hope that, based on players have now been in the bubble and if as long as there's no cases inside the bubble that kind of were picked up within the facilities at Orlando then things should be good full steam ahead to have this tournament um, you know be as successful as possible I, I I give MLS credit it's not easy throwing a tournament with all the unknowns of a pandemic but the fact that they've been willing to bend and have moving targets I think it shows you the conditions that they're living in and every one of Toronto FC's individuals, whether it be front office or players publicly have, have taken, have tipped their cap to MLS for the work that they've done. So I hope that that's where the focus is shift shifts behind getting behind this team, understanding that they are committed and they want to be there. Well said. Yeah. I, I was so excited waking up this morning to watch a game. Uh, we had their whole under 14 academy team w- watching the game and analyzing it and um yeah i was the same as you i was taking my espresso i was buzzing sat out on the deck just kind of looking into the toronto skyline thinking you know what is game day today let's go um from what i've heard too exactly the same wheels that that mls have, have done everything that they can to to ensure safety um in in the bubble uh, and, and, and all the protocols are being adhered to. Um, it's just important now uh, that, that, that a player or a staff member d- don't mess it up, that there's no yep. dickheads and that they continue to, to – it's not easy, it's hard, it's, it's tough being away from your family. Um, but, but this is part of, I, I guess, being a professional. I think players, and, and you can understand maybe their why to, to why they're not there right now and, and, and uh, fair enough to them. Uh, but but if I'm down there in the bubble, I'm I'm being as professional as I can. I'm wearing my mask. I'm social distancing. I'm washing my hands, and and from what I can understand, there's there's activities too. I think, you know, that the players can go golfing. They can go fishing. Um, they they can uh, play soccer, tennis. They can recover and get ready for the next game as they should be. And then come nighttime, they're watching the other games. It's kind yeah. of a cool so, tournament so setup, is, right? Is, as tough as it is, um, and there's a lot of variables uh, continuing to, to to present themselves, um, I, I was excited today, man. Right on. Um, before I let you run, Terry, uh, any other thoughts on the games that you've seen in the tournament thus far? Um, no, I, 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 I keep hearing the word, the quality is a bit choppy, it's, it's not great. I think um, it's been getting better as the tournament's gone yeah, on. I think there's and, been some good know, play. You know what analogy I'd give it to is, is in training. Uh, you know when you play that first round of a rondo or a possession game and the defenders come charging out and they win possession and it's not super silky and smooth? I think there's just been a lot of pent-up aggression. Uh, not aggression, pent-up energy. There's, there's a lot of emotion with, with COVID and Black Lives Matter and 
um, it, it's not easy coming into these games and I, I think this has led to a lot of transition moments I think as the game goes on uh, teams will start to recognize one another's strengths and, and you'll just see more flow yeah I, I, I think that some teams have, have done themselves uh, very good through these first round of games yeah. Columbus is legit, ladies and gentlemen. Tim Bezbachenko, the former general manager, has worked his magic. The Columbus crew are legit now at this tournament and will be contending with Toronto FC atop the Eastern Conference. I have no doubt about that. That that Zella Ryan free kick was special. But there's also, too, a bit of uncertainty. You're not exactly – there's new players to the league. You're not 100% sure how teams are going to be coming out. You don't want to lose your first game, too. So there's – I think there's a lot of reasons behind uh, why it might look a little bit scrappy, but but I think that, the, that there's clear answers to why. Uh, by the way, the, the nil-nil draw, Seattle-San Jose was one of the most entertaining uh, goalless <laughs> games you can find. Honestly, like, and I think that both those teams are very good, which is kind of reshaping my way that I think about San Jose. Almeida has that team playing. Jackson Ewell is legit. He is an excellent player. And I don't know if you're watching the game. You, you joked about Triore. San Jose is this kid that came on as a substitute. He's 16. His name is Cade Cowell. Yeah. He is built like a brick truck. <laughs> on, on, I'm like, you got to be kidding. And he is going to be something else. I think San Jose could be a dark horse in this tournament. Yeah. Just throwing that out there, Terry. For sure. For sure. I think whoever kind of catches rhythm at the right time and doesn't struggle with injuries, they'll do well. I think Ewell, as soon as I saw I remember him watching him. I'm sure our fans and listeners heard saw him when he played at BMO, one of his first games. Uh, you know, Maybe he takes over that mantle for Michael Bradley one day. Yeah, could do. By the way, Cade Cowell, powerful name. <laughs> 16. The guy is a stud. Uh, thanks for this, Terry. We'll catch up again, and we'll do this on Friday uh, to talk about the full three points coming away from a win over the Montreal Impact. How does that sound? Sounds good. Looking forward to it. I, I just want to reiterate, what a what a great start. I know it's tough. It's, it's a serious kick in the you-know-what, but uh, big picture, it was a very good performance. Dunfield out, Akinola in. Joining us now right here on Come On You Reds. He scored his first brace for Toronto FC earlier in the day. Monday, congratulations to Io Akinola. And he joins us now right here on the pod. Congrats, buddy. How did it feel today? It felt good, especially in the first half, grabbing the first half brace. You know, I'm still, still a little disappointed that, you know, I had two chances where I could have buried it. But overall, overall, I thought it was good. That's the life of a striker, isn't it? Right? Yeah. You'll, you'll, you'll obviously remember the two goals you score, but you'll think about the chances that you missed. And, yeah. and, and really, uh, the first goal out of the gate, it was just an absolute rocket. I likened it to Nick DeLeon's goal against Atlanta last year in the Eastern Conference Final, if you remember, with the defender sagging and just the pivot and the hit. It was an absolute rocket. How did you see it from your perspective? Um... I knew when Ali played me the ball, I feel like I had no no clear-cut options of who to pass it to, and the guys were, like, closing me down. I think Robert Canoose came from my backside, so I had to dribble a little bit sideways. And there was two center backs, uh, Birnbaum and Brian, that was coming at me. So, like, it was it was more of a goal out of nothing, you know. It was kind of like a, like a quick improvise. That, that's the way I kind of see it. 
but at the same time, the, the technique was there as well. I, I mean, I remember you scoring some goals for TFC too, where you just hit it sweet as a peach. Right when you hit that, you had to know that there was something special coming off your foot at that time. I, I honestly, I was, I was kind of, I was kind of shocked that it went in, because I thought, because at that point when I shot it, I was like, it was like a hope for the best type of shot, but you know. I'm, I was I was very happy that you know at least my technique was still on point. That was not like a more like a shank of a shot. <laughs> it was nothing like a shank. Have you watched back the highlight? Have you had a chance to watch it yet? I I did I did I was I was kind of surprised. I'm like wow, I can't believe I hit that. You're like that looked good, didn't it? <laughs> I was like wow, I was I was surprised. And then the second goal came in the first half as well. I mean, you've scored two goals with the first team, uh, you know, prior to this, one in the Canadian Championship against Ottawa and one last year against New England. I, I mean, what were you thinking when that second goal went in? I thought Ali was going to go for himself. I, I knew he, Ali seen me, but I thought, you know, once he chipped, I was like, okay, he's going to go for himself. But it was a chip where I was like, oh, no. Like it's not going in the goal, so like, and that, but that's like a more like a striker's instinct. Like no matter what happens, you still you still got to hope for the best and still go for it. So it can be whether you know the keeper makes a shot, but he parries a rebound right in there, or it could just be like that, literally. Because if I didn't make the run, it was either going to go out or um, Bill Hamid was just going to uh, you know carry it up. Well, it's, it's an absolute positive because oftentimes players will expect the ball to go in. They won't finish your run. Yeah, you, you did the absolute right thing at that moment, and congratulations to you on your first brace. Um, has your friends or family been reaching out to you to congratulate my, you? Definitely my friends for sure. Yeah, my brother as well and my mom as well. Yeah, everyone to be honest. Just getting warm messages, you know, on you know, messages, Snapchat, Twitter, Instagram, like it's really positive. I, I feel that it's that much, much more special for people that have been following this team for years to have homegrown players come through and produce on a stage like this. And, and, and you've had to buy your, bide your time. You, you've dealt with injuries. And of, of course, it's a veteran-laden team. So young players like yourself need to be patient, don't you? So um, what's it like being patient and grabbing your opportunity when it presents itself this way? I think uh, for me, it's just learning. You know, whether you're on the bench or whether you're not, you're just watching from the stands. I think it's just learning of what, you know, what you know, players like Josie or Patrick or what, what they're doing on the field for them to be still getting minutes. So that's whether their movement, their link-up play, or, you know, just the tenacity. If nothing is going right for them, it's just the willingness to work hard. So that's what I was just, you know, learning. And especially uh, from Josie's point of view, the way he's been guiding me is the, is to be patient. Just be patient. Your time will come, and especially when you're especially when you're when you do have your chance, it's just staying in between those two center backs. Because if you if you go if you just run forward towards the middle, then the two center backs um, they're easy to contain. They they know that they have everyone in front of them. But if you're in between the two center backs, they have a decision whether to make. So whether they follow me or they follow the run or they follow the other man that's making the run. So I think it's just staying patient is what I learned the most. It's interesting you say that because you're still such a young, young man. You're only 20 years of age 
And you kind of learn that through experience, through time, don't you? And heading into this tournament, I had members of the coaching staff saying, look out for Io. He is doing really well in training and he can do something special at this tournament. So what's been your success coming you know, um, out of the, the pandemic and through the unknown, has, has your growth been more physical or has it been more mental? Um, I think that for me, I think it's more mental because uh, I think back in the past, I wasn't that mentally strong. You know, you know, I just, when things weren't going my way, I could just, you know, just kind of go down. You know, I was more, more, I wouldn't say sad, but I was just like upset, you know, like why isn't things happening, stuff like that. So I think mentally for me, is I definitely got a lot stronger. That's whether if, even if I'm not even playing, I'm still watching. I'm still watching. I'm still focusing. Even in training sessions too. Like what do they? What do they need from me for us to be successful and stuff? And that in that kind of way. It's, it's it's incredible as a player because that will happen over time, right? You'll pick up on things and you'll be like, if I had that approach or if I knew that earlier, then what could have been, right? But right. now you're you're so young, you can kind of use that to your advantage going forward. What were your thoughts on, on the rest of the game? Obviously the result was disappointing, but like I was saying, I mean, 80 plus minutes, uh, it was one way traffic. You guys were running it. You were playing very well and just a couple self-inflicted wounds cost you the full three points today. What was the experience like being out there? I thought for the, for the majority of the whole game, we were, we were right. You know, they had no answer. I think their only clear-cut chance in the first half was probably the Ola Kamara header. Like, yep. he made a brilliant save. But other than that, they really had no, you know, it wasn't, it was like there was no identity for them. You know, we were just, and like the emphasis that we try to put on in this tournament, it's just this, the, the weather and just the field is so long and big. It's just like, just keeping the ball because the ball is golden. The more that we keep it and the more they chase you know, and more than the more they chase, they're going to get tired. So that's just going to give us uh, our legs are going to be saved even more. We can run around them even more. I thought the the last two goals that DC scored. I thought uh, I don't know, maybe complacency. You know, hits hit us. I don't. I really don't know. But you know, credit to DC with ten men. You know, they really you know fought themselves. You know, try to get a salvage a point. They could have actually been down to nine men. You were involved. Felipe came through. I thought it was a dirty, mistimed challenge. I was surprised a red card wasn't shown. And in the back of my head, sometimes referees, it's natural for it to happen, kind of um, maybe let DC United off the hook based on the fact that you guys were working them, the fact they were already down to 10 men. Uh, what did you see from your perspective? And did the referee say or provide a reason why Felipe wasn't sent off for that challenge? Uh, I think, I think when the, once when one of the players, DC players, lost the ball, and I knew I was gonna come to it. I knew something, something bad was about to happen. Just the way he, just the way he was running at me. Yep. You know, I already knew something was gonna was bound to happen, and just the way he used his studs sideways, literally right into my ankle. I thought it had to be a red card. There was no, there was literally no excuse. I think what the referee thought is that he hit ball first, then he hit my ankle. So, so that's, I think that's what I overheard the ref saying. So I think that's why he, he managed to give Felipe a yellow instead of a red. Well, it's unfortunate. Nine men, I mean, 
I thought the game was over, but it really would have been over if, if, if that was the case. So, I mean, it's just such a quick turnaround now before you guys meet Montreal on Thursday night. One, how are you and the guys feeling? I'm not sure how much you've talked to the other guys after. How are you feeling coming out of this game? And how do you manage with the tight turnaround to looking ahead to Montreal already? Uh, I think the, the feeling within the team, uh, we're obviously disappointed, you know, because we could have easily had three points in the bag. But at the same time, it's not, you know, it's not a time to sulk and, you know, moody because, you know, we have a game right around the corner on Thursday. So we all realized our mistakes. We all realized what, what we – we all realized what not to do for the next game. So I feel like, you know – and we already seen the messages that everybody's been sending – you know, it's, it's okay that, you know, it's it's a game. And it's uh, it's our first game in four months. So, you know, it's, nothing nothing's perfect, you know. Nothing is going to be beautiful right off, the, right off the bat. So I feel like we have a realization and an understanding that not everything will be perfect. But at the same time, we, we know, we know, we know uh, what not to do. Getting out and playing today, it must have been a little bit of a release for you and the guys. I mean, there's been so many emotions revolving around the pandemic, the schedule issues, um, being part of a real proud moment in the Black Lives Matter movement and the real positive awareness that's being shown. I mean, how are you feeling just from an emotional perspective? It's kind of getting onto that field, kind of a refuge for you to go out there and express yourself amidst so many emotions, which must be running through your body. No, I was really like, literally what, after we did it, I w- everyone was ecstatic. Everyone was happy. Just the way we could use our platforms and just show it on air to the whole world. It actually meant something to us. And then credit to J-Mo because yes. he's the one that pulled off everything. And like in a matter of like two and a half weeks, like 19 days, pulled out everything. So, and just the leadership that just shows you that everybody's willing to listen to him, you know, because you know, one, he knows what he's doing and he's an intelligent, a smart man, you know, and just to be able for J-Mo for himself to have that platform and, and to uh, just present it so eloquently you know, for the whole world to see it, I, I was I was very very happy. Very, there, there, there's a lot of pride, isn't there? You know, within the league, just to come out and just show what you know, what you know, who we really are, and the the only message that we really want is just just for us to be heard, literally. You know, just to hear us out, uh, hear us out. And just, you know, just listen to us because not everyone's willing to, but just listen to us just for, now it doesn't have to be like a, for a couple hours, just for a few minutes of what, of what it's like to be black in America. Well, outside the bubble, that message is being heard loud and clear. I give you guys all the credit in the world. It was so good to see you guys back out on the field uh, playing again today. Um, there's been a lot of concern, obviously, about the health and safety of you guys based upon what's going on in the environment outside the bubble. Um, every player or, or coach that we've talked to, everyone says that you guys feel safe. How are you feeling about, you know, these, these curveballs and just the atmosphere that's kind of being thrown your way? Uh, I think uh, from my point of view, I think I'm pretty safe. Uh, we already, before we came down here, you know, Mike already set the tone for us that, you know, we create a bubble within this bubble. You know, so I think it's just being disciplined, you know, where where uh, where we go around the hotel, 
you know, knowing that we can't go into each other's rooms. We already, I think he already set the benchmark for that. And I feel like everybody's holding, you know, holding their end of the bargain, you know, listening. Because at the end of the day, we, we still want to play. And I'll be quarantined for 14 days, you know, inside our room. Right. Wild. So what have you been doing to pass the time other than getting out of the training pitch? Video games? What, what, are, you, what are you doing? I, sadly, I don't play video games. Uh, uh, <laughs> I just, literally, just TV. That's my only time. That's my only free time. And we have a player's lounge. So Got that, that kind of helps. That kind of like ping pong and stuff. It's cards. So that, so that, that kind of helps. Get a book or something, no? Uh, you know. <laughs> I keep on telling are... myself, I over the course of this quarantine, I'm like, oh, I want to get into this book, and it's still sitting there collecting dust. Honestly, my friend messaged me yesterday, told me to read a book, but I'm like, I'd, I'd be so bored over it. I have, I have no interest. <laughs> <laughs> have you been watching the other games? I have been. I have been. I have been, for sure. Uh, I figured that every player in the bubble is like kind of watching. It's a, it's a good time because typically during the season, you're kind of catching up on what all the other teams are doing. But right now, the fact that you don't really have anything else to do, you can kind of check out what everyone else is up to on the field. Yeah, 100%. You know, we literally every game that they show on TV, because we can't watch it, but every game that they show, uh, I feel like it's just, I don't know. I'm just happy that soccer in general is just back. You know, you just get to watch it. Regardless, if there's no fans, even though preferably I would love to see fans, but just the fact that we can see, you know, guys competing at the highest level in, in North America, it just it brings I'm, – I'm very happy for that. I'm very grateful for that. You might have not heard it uh, on the field where you were playing, but Toronto was cheering for you today. There's a lot of pride um, in you and what you were able to accomplish. Uh, good luck Thursday night. We're hoping three points, a big three points on the line against Montreal and wish you the best of luck. You and your teammates, the best of luck moving forward. Thanks for this, Io. All right. Thank you so much, Gary. All right. Great stuff with Io Akinola. Him and the boys back in action Thursday night at 8 p.m. The content and coverage doesn't stop here. Producer Jerome Chang, producer extraordinaire. What else is going on the rest of this week? What's um, keeping you busy? I mean, it's a quick turnaround between games, right? It's a super quick turnaround. Uh, we'll, we'll give a quick update uh, through a red alert. Maria Papadakis will be on top of that. We had a nice. fun little interview with uh, Jaquiel Marshall-Ruddy. Um, we ran through, um, we talked through everything that was going on recently. And same time, we went into some uh, Disney-based questions with him, which was pretty fun between Maria and him. <laughs> so that'll be good. And then, um, you know, shout out to our uh, guy, our producer for All for One, Greg Veerman, who's out there on his own. He's putting together some wonderful training footage. So, I mean, you better be following at Toronto. <laughs> at Way to sell that wonderful training footage. Oh, it's no, but all his pieces have been so, so good for all for one yes. that he, he's been doing these one offs. So definitely catch those. Um, I know we had our, uh, our last minute cancellation uh, on Sunday morning, but I believe they'll keep on going with their virtual red assemblies. So definitely uh, keep, uh, keep it locked on that um, with Toronto FC. Uh, you'll be able to join and uh, cheer on with your fellow fans i have to say on the video boards it looked and i don't know if it just seemed that way but it looked like there was far more toronto fc fans involved than any other team thus far in this tournament i will say that i mean so keep it going it's no surprise <laughs> being no. that it's us yeah awesome buddy uh right. so we're gonna be back uh we'll have an after 90 minutes 
uh, breakfast coming mm-hmm. up on Friday morning. And we'll all be watching Thursday night and we'll be potting it out at the end of the week as well. Good stuff, Jerome. Thanks for putting this all together. It's been a busy day. Um, I want to give a shout out to our entire Toronto FC team from media relations here in Toronto to down in Orlando, the players for being accessible and our fine producer, uh, Jerome, Greg, Erica, everyone who's played a part, uh, everyone's really come together in a real awesome way thus far. So on behalf of Terry Dunfield and Jerome, I am Wheels. This is me. Come on, you Reds.